Welcome to State of the State, the monthly roundup of policy and research for the state of Michigan brought to you by the Institute of Public Policy and Social Research at Michigan State University and our friends here at WKAR Studios. I'm Arnold Weinfeld, Associate Director of the Institute, and I'm joined by Institute Director, Dr. Matt Grossman. Later on, our guest will be Sue Ann Hammersmith, Executive Director of Michigan's Independent Redistricting Commission to discuss the work of the commission. Well, Matt, uh, yesterday's announcement uh, by the CDC has uh, sent a lot of different groups and people scurrying. Um, a lot of relief, of course, that uh, we can uh, now uh, wear or not have to wear our masks outside. But uh, what, what do you think this is going to do? I mean, uh, the, uh, the feds have said that it's still up to state and local jurisdictions as well seems to put a lot more pressure now on, on, those, uh, on those entities to follow CDC guidelines. Uh, yes, there were some uh, immediate uh, responses uh, and we're still responding to the previous uh, CDC guidance about the uh, no masks needed outside. Um, and both East Lansing and the university uh, actually just uh, uh, complied with that or went along with that uh, this week. So um, it may take a little while, but it certainly uh, is filtering down and, and signs of a return to normalcy. Uh, and part of a pattern of uh, policymakers trying to provide incentives for people to get vaccinated, seeing everything from free beer to uh, uh, entering a lottery in Ohio yeah. if you get vaccinated. A million dollars. Uh, so lots of incentives uh, to, yeah. to get on board. Almost makes me want to go down to Ohio and get more shots. Um, uh, Charlie's not here to talk about implications on the economy, but given it's summertime, given we're loosening these restrictions, are we going to see uh, something of a social boom and a, a, a lift to the economy uh, over the summer now? Well, we, uh, I'm not a prognosticator, but I can tell you what's already happening, which is that uh, we saw uh, a large increase uh, in economic activity and our first signs of inflation uh, this uh, month. Uh, and that's already provoking uh, some uh, political and, and policy uh, responses. Uh, and so the debate uh, could change uh, from just where we were at the beginning of the year uh, with all the talk uh, of need of stimulus. And of course, ransomware attacks on major pieces of infrastructure like the Colonial Pipeline uh, uh, don't, don't help uh, smooth the situation either. And close uh, to home, the, the uh, car industry is also um, having to respond to uh, the chip shortages, uh, and that actually produced uh, an increase in uh, used car prices. That was the biggest uh, uh, sign of in inflation. It might be temporary, um, but uh, yeah, the auto industry uh, is also having supply issues. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that we've was announced this week uh, guidance from the Federal Department of Treasury on use of the American Rescue Plan Act funding. Um, Michigan's actually getting more money than they thought, something just over $6 billion to the state and a little over $4 billion directly to uh, local governments. We had a uh, forum uh, last week at IPSER, a legislative staff training, where we invited the directors of the House and Senate Fiscal Agency, as well as uh, we had the deputy director of our uh, Department of Management budget. What they have to say about the budget and uh, what they're seeing? They said there's a lot of new money coming in. Uh, <laughs> it uh, is a substantial increase in the state budget uh, over the next uh, couple of 
uh, years, um, you know, on uh, huge portions of, of general fund uh, that uh, are going to be coming from the federal government. Um, and we're still spending the dollars from the previous COVID relief uh, bills. Uh, so uh, the budget situation is, is looking a whole lot uh, better. Um, but uh, this is temporary money. Uh, and so they were definitely cautious about the sustainability of, of these kinds of uh, desires to spend the money. Um, they also noted that infrastructure funding may be coming down the road and that policymakers wanted to spend this chunk on infrastructure, um, but, but might have to wait for additional dollars. Um, but the broad pattern is definitely a lot of money is com coming to the state. Um, we, this is one way in which we benefit from a higher than average unemployment rate and some other economic indicators. Um, so Michigan is getting more money. And of course, this week on Tuesday, we'll have uh, a form on the uh, money going to local governments, which we've talked about on the podcast, which is also an enormous amount of money uh, and is going disproportionately to the um, hardest hit cities. Um, so this uh, big redistributive debate that we normally have in, in politics is, is taking place. The Democrats really do send more money to uh, poorer areas uh, and uh, spend uh, more uh, money through government spending. I've been in discussions with uh, representatives from uh, the statewide local government associations. Um, you noted our forum on Tuesday. We'll have with us uh, Dr. Eric Scorsoni, who runs Michigan State University's Local Government Finance and Policy Center. And it, it, the message from uh, the organizations and many right now is uh, to take it slow, plan out, uh, especially at the local government level. Uh, how you want to use this money. It is one-time money, as you noted. So even as people are, are banging on the uh, local or state officials' door saying you've got all this money, you know, why don't you spend it? Um, it's it's going to make a, a difference for sure over the next couple of years. Uh, but there still seem to be some concerns with the long-term health of the state budget, are there not? Well, and justified concerns because we've uh, gone through this story before. Uh, the state budget went up uh, in 2009 and 2010, not just in Michigan, all over in response to the federal stimulus dollars, and then crashed uh, two years after the rest of the economy crashed because that's when the stimulus funding ran out. So uh, people are conscious of, of that. Um, but, uh, you know, even the most left pro-government side of the spectrum is... Um, is calling this uh, funding for state and local governments enormous. So um, it, it does seem to be a, a far different scale than we've seen before. No question. Trans transformational is uh, and once in a generation are, are terms that people are using. And then uh, regarding infrastructure, of course, uh, some of the current funds can be used for sewer and water infrastructure. I've heard uh, locals in particular talk about that and broadband expansion. So there is there is a piece of this uh, that can certainly uh, be used for for those uh, for, for those means. You know, it, it seems to me too that uh, given given the amount of funding uh, that that's coming our way, uh, and we just kind of touched on this one-time funding. You just noted that after the last stimulus, uh, that you know, after a couple of years, you know, reality set back in. The platform of problems with Michigan still remains our reliance on manufacturing, uh, the inability of local communities uh, to raise uh, funding at the local level, the number of tax and revenue restrictions that are here in the state. So 
Um, you know, I, I think you're correct that after the next few years, uh, we're still without uh, a really strong overhaul of our economy and uh, new residents as well. And I know that that's something that we'll be talking about here in a little bit with, with, with Sue Ann as well. Michigan is going to find itself probably in the next few years uh, in the same state of affairs. And the car industry is, is, is turning over too. EVs are becoming uh, going to become more prevalent. The manufacturers here in America are uh, making a commitment to producing electric vehicles down the road, although China is way ahead of everybody as, as usual in that, in, in that effort. What do you see as uh, you know, policy political implications moving forward? Uh, you, know, you noted that it's possible we might see another large tranche of money in infrastructure, and the president has also announced the family plan, the family jobs plan to address issues like childcare. You just noted that when Democrats are in office, a lot more money gets spent, uh, gets spent outward. Given the very close split in Congress, uh, I know you said you're not a prognosticator, but what do you think the chances are we'll see two more large packages of uh, funding? I'm happy to prognosticate on policy and politics. I just leave the economic trajectory to, uh, to Charlie, because what do they say? Economists have successfully called uh, the, the last uh, three out of I don't know what it is, the last 12 out of uh, three recessions or something like that. So, uh, yes, uh, the, the, the basic message is going to be that the spigot is going to be cut off at some point. Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, opening year of a presidential administration is usually uh, the biggest one uh, policy wise. Um, there's no guarantee that we're getting a whole lot uh, more uh, money. We have spent uh, a big uh, tranche in the first COVID relief bill. There's uh, two large proposals. We'll get something out of that. Um, but as soon as we get around to midterm election year uh, with the Republicans favored to regain control of the House, um, we should not expect uh, that funding to uh, continue uh, for, forever. That said, we saw, still are seeing policymaking. Um, it, Biden has uh, made politics boring again, so no one's paying that much attention, but we actually are potentially about to double uh, the National Science Foundation, uh, for example, but we're calling it an anti-China uh, uh, bill about manufacturing workers. So that's that's pretty typical of uh, framing, but Gary Peters actually just got um, an additional couple billion dollars into that uh, bill, which is uh, going through the Senate floor. Uh, to uh, be directed toward uh, auto industry um, efforts. So uh, we, we should see some uh, additional policy, um, but, but the money at some point is going to, to be cut off and we'll be uh, moving in a different uh, political direction. Uh, Michigan, uh, of course, just saw that uh, we did gain population uh, in contrast to the previous census, but we uh, gained population at the fourth, I think, slowest rate across the, the, the US states. Uh, so we still have the same structural uh, issues um, that, that we have had um, and they, they aren't being solved by, by this one-time money. Well, you just noted that uh, President Biden might, is making politics boring. Certainly though, uh, national Republicans are not making it boring. Uh, and you just mentioned the midterm elections in Congress, uh, the, uh, House Republican uh, Conference decided to remove their number three uh, leader, uh, Liz Cheney, for not uh, sticking to the proper messaging. So it would seem uh, that certainly congressional Republicans are already gearing up for the midterm elections and making sure 
everyone's towing the line. What, what do you make of the Liz Cheney piece? Yes, well, clearly we'll still, we're still having um, uh, debates about uh, Trump uh, well into the Biden uh, administration and the Republican Party, uh, and you really can't openly uh, run against uh, Trump in the, in the Republican Party, um, and uh, you, you can't uh, disrupt uh, the party uh, message um, as, as Liz uh, Cheney has been doing uh, over the last couple months. Um, I, I'm a little bit less uh, on the side of that this somehow means that, that Trump is still in control. I think it means that the party doesn't like to have open squabbling be the message that comes out of their uh, retreat. Um, there's also an interesting ideological dimension. Liz Cheney is actually right in the middle of the Republican caucus ideologically, whereas uh, Elise Stefanik, who's likely to replace her, is actually more liberal than 98% of House Republicans. Um, so it's actually not a uh, move rightward uh, like we traditionally see uh, in these House leadership elections. Um, if anything, it's actually sort of a move to the center. So is it fair to say that the uh, cult of personality as compared to the cult of ideology still is prevalent within the Republican Party? I think it's just fair to say that people just don't like internal squabbling to dominate the headlines um, in a political party. Um, I, I, yes, it certainly can be interpreted as, you know, they're, they're still behind uh, Trump. Um, but, you know, this is the same group that, that voted all but 60 people to retain uh, Liz Cheney uh, just a couple of months ago. So I think since we had the before and after and the policy positions really didn't change, that this really was about her public uh, messaging and her, um, you know, continuing public squabbling with Trump. Well, speaking of midterm elections, uh, as we enter the 2022 election cycle. Uh, states are preparing to revise their uh, congressional districts and their state legislative districts. Every 10 years after the census, states uh, go through this process. Here in Michigan, we approved a ballot proposal uh, last cycle to set up an independent redistricting commission, as a few other states have done. And with that, I'd like to introduce our guest, uh, Sue Ann Hammersmith. Uh, Sue Ann was appointed executive director of Michigan's Independent Redistricting Commission uh, last year. Uh, as I noted, this is the body approved by voters to set forth new, new legislative districts for state and federal office. Previously, Sue Ann was CEO of the Lenaway Community Foundation. Uh, welcome, Suzanne, Sue Ann. Thank you. I'm happy to be here today. Why don't you take a few minutes to discuss uh, the work of the commission uh, as you've organized and moving forward? Uh, well, the commission started with their first meeting in September. Um, they have undergone quite a bit of continuing education. We thank uh, Dr. Grossman and others who've helped us um, in a variety of ways with educating the commission about the process that they will undertake. Um, we've done a lot of outreach to cities, townships, and counties. Uh, engaged over 30 statewide organizations, so groups such as the League of Women Voters, the NAACP, um, the Michigan Nonprofit Association, to be involved in the work of redistricting and helping to get awareness and the word out to people that they can engage in the process. So we're really excited about um, uh, going on the road. We started uh, this week with public hearings in Jackson and Kalamazoo. And uh, we'll have seven more weeks of public hearings throughout the state of Michigan to listen to the people and what they want to tell us about the districts that would best represent them. 
very important part of the process. I, I did see the list and, and you do have numerous public hearings uh, moving across the state. And uh, Matt, uh, Sue Ann noted that uh, uh, experts such as yourself are, are assisting with the work of the commission. Um, what do you see as the you know, key issues the commission needs to uh, work on and how are they going to apply uh, all, all of the criteria that's in front of them? Well, the constitution does give them a long list of uh, criteria for the maps. Uh, so we're not uh, to that process, uh, to, to that part of the process yet, um, but they're already thinking about them. Uh, the, the big one that's high on the list is that the maps have to reflect communities of interest and the diversity of the state. And so one thing that uh, people will be submitting is uh, their ideas about what uh, communities of interest uh, they, they live in or what they should look like uh, across the state. Um, the, the main piece I've been um, trying to help with is just the diversity of these uh, criteria. They also have to not provide an advantage to a political party. Uh, they also have to reflect local boundaries and be compact and be contiguous and, of course, at the very top, uh, comply with the Voting Rights Act. Uh, and all of those are a lot more complicated than, than it might uh, sound uh, to draw uh, squares on a map. Um, so we've been kind of taking, taking them through uh, that, that process. Sue, what, what are you hearing so far about, uh, are people submitting ideas about communities of interest? Are they submitting maps yet? Or are we just getting kind of um, uh, broader comments from the public? Uh, we have received um, great comments from the public about the districts that they would like to be in. Um, but the public comment uh, portal also launched about a week ago. And we have lots of maps drawn in that portal that have been submitted. So it's, it's really exciting to start to see the work coming together. And so what um, can uh, citizens do? They just go to the um, Independent Redistricting Commission website and, and then what, what are they able to do there? So if they go to michigan.gov forward slash M-I-C-R-C, um, they can go right into the public comment portal from there and they can submit comments on that. They can draw a map for the whole state. They can draw their community of interest and they can also comment on other maps that have been drawn. So there's lots of opportunity there and we're really excited that that, that tool is available to us to collect all this data. And then there's also these in-person public hearings. Um, so uh, what's, what's happening at those and, and how, are, how are citizens submitting uh, their, their comments there? So 16 public hearings throughout the state of Michigan. Um, we have been to Jackson and Kalamazoo this week. Um, next week, we're going up to the UP to Marquette and then back to Gaylord. And we'll be throughout the state over the next several weeks. Um, so the, the public hearings are on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The list is on the website. I'll start at 6 p.m. And uh, we encourage people to get there around 5. And we also take virtual comments at those meetings. So if somebody can't get to a public hearing, it's too far of a drive, or they just the timing doesn't work for them in their area, they can call in and give public comment also through the Zoom meeting or via phone. So there's many, many ways to engage, and we just want to hear from the citizens of Michigan. Matt, you mentioned the census uh, in a previous comment. Can you talk for a, a minute about how the census process is impacting this process? 
Well, so uh, the, of course, the, the sort of occasion for doing the redistricting is that we get new data on where uh, people uh, live uh, in Michigan and across the country. Uh, we, the commission is drawing three sets of districts, the U.S. congressional districts, uh, the state house districts, and the state senate districts. The number of state house and senate districts will stay the same, but the uh, congressional districts uh, will be down by one uh, district. But all of the districts will change as a result of the new information that we get, which, which will be a little bit late <laughs> coming, um, but uh, will tell us where people live. And, and the, the fundamental criteria that, criterion that comes in uh, uh, very first is equal population. Uh, and so that means that if uh, we have growing parts of the state, like we do up around Traverse City uh, and on the west side of the state, um, that, that those areas um, are, are going to, um, you know, generate more uh, districts uh, overall uh, than some of the areas that are losing population. Right, right. And you, you mentioned that the, some of that census, some of those census figures are going to be coming in late. Now, the commission has a deadline, does it not? Is it November 1st? And how does that match up with when we'll be getting the census figures? So um, we anticipate getting the full census data by September 30th. Uh, the Constitution says that our maps have to be uh, submitted by November 1st with the 45 previous days of public comment. So that puts us back to around September 17th. That does create somewhat of an issue when we don't have the final census data until projected to be after September 30th. So uh, we have filed for relief of up to 72 days from the Michigan Supreme Court in collaboration with the Michigan Department of State and the Bureau of Elections. So we, we are working together to try to uh, get some days of relief and, uh, and help to make the process the best it can be because obviously you cannot do this work without the census data. Right, right. So you have filed to have, you've basically filed to get more time once the census data are, are, are released. That is correct. We have filed for an up to an, an additional 72 days. Um, the question on the other side is, of course, that candidates are going to start uh, running for office. So uh, there's there's also uh, has to be finished by the time that uh, that people would be able to still file uh, for those for those races. Yeah, certainly. I think filing deadlines are in the spring of 2022. So, uh, Matt, do you have any comment about other groups that are seem to be forming as well to, um, I don't know, uh, I hate to use this term, fact check the process. I saw uh, Tony, uh, Mr. Daunt has formed a, a, a group uh, on his own regarding uh, the redistricting. Uh, how, how do you see, since you prognosticate on politics and policy, uh, how do you see at the end of the day when the commission's work is done, uh, we're not gonna, just going to wash our hands and move on, are we? I mean, uh, do you expect various communities of interest, whether they be political or social or cultural, uh, to um, have a few words about what they see in those men? Well, as you know, we live in the most litigious country in the world, and uh, the commission has been told from the very beginning uh, that they will be sued, and that's a normal part of the, the process. Uh, they, they will receive a lot of uh, input from outside, both before and, and after, uh, and so they're, they're prepared for that. Um, obviously, even the, the creation of the commission 
uh, was was subject uh, to, to a legal oversight and contestation as well. So um, they're they're no stranger to those issues, but that's why we they they've hired a legal counsel and an additional uh, one for a voting rights act consideration. So I think they'll they'll be ready for that. But yes, there'll be a lot of um, a lot of input. Um, but Sue, I guess, uh, so, so citizens will have an opportunity to comment uh, after the proposed maps are drawn as well, right? So what, um, why should they give their comments now, um, uh, I guess, rather than, or, or in addition to waiting to see what's, uh, what's drawn? Well, in an ideal world, we'd like to get it right the first time. <laughs> so as much input as we can get um, over the next few weeks before the maps are, are drawn, um, obviously, the Constitution says that we cannot draw the first line until after the public hearings. So the public hearings are slated to go through July 1st. And then after that time, we will start, the commission will start to draw maps with some of the data that is available to them. Um, they will also have the legacy data that comes out, which is untabulated in mid-August to work with. So uh, when the final census data does come out, hopefully by September 30th, then uh, they should be ready to uh, put the final touches on the maps and um, do the best job that they can to get them right the first time, though, with the communities of interest identified, with the, the voices of the citizens taken into consideration, and, uh, and then we'll go back on the road, though, again for another um, eight rounds of public hearings and 45 days of public comment after the maps are drawn. And the one of the reasons that citizens commissions have had a good uh, record in uh, the, the courts um, is because process does, does matter. Um, that is in the previous uh, process, there was a lot happening behind the scenes. And so um, there was fight over, over the maps and not a lot of potential to, to defend them on what on what criteria they gain, but commissions are able to show that they went through this this public process uh, and uh, that they kind of considered these these things um, uh, from from the beginning. So where are we on the on the first part on the Voting Rights Act uh, considerations? Um, have we identified some someone to help with with that? And have we done any analyses of, of uh, groups that that might be covered under that? Um, we do. Um, in fact, we have our, our first meeting with our um, Voting Rights Act Legal Council on Monday. So we're excited that Federal Compliance uh, Consulting and Bruce Adelson, who's a national expert, I think, I think he's probably the best we could have found um, for the commission. So he will guide that work. We also have a racially polarized analyst um, that will be working with us, Dr. Lisa Handley. So um, we do have those, in, those things in place and uh, we're, we're ready to, to get down to the real work. And one of the, the main pieces uh, that, that we've tried to cover in the education, but I don't know how far we've gotten, is this uh, communities of interest idea. So any, yeah, just give people a sense of what that, what that might mean and, and how the commission's been, been thinking about it and how citizens have been thinking about it. So communities of interest are identified in our constitution as either cultural or historical groups or groups with shared economic interest, but they're not limited to those groups. So we're listening. We're asking for those communities to come forth and talk to us. We, we obviously, as 13 independent people on the commission, can't 
know everybody everywhere in the state and know where those communities are. So they will self-identify. And we're looking forward to learning about more about our state and learning about people who feel that they are most better are better impacted um, when they're voting together as a group, as a community of interest. Well, Sue, uh, I want to thank you and, and the commission uh, for your work. Uh, much like Michigan's infrastructure, there's been a number of potholes that you've had to face along the way. And uh, I have no doubt uh, that the road will continue to be bumpy, but uh, this commission um, is uh, doing great work um, really appreciate how you've reached out to experts like uh, Matt and others to make sure that as you dive into these issues, um, you've got the best information available to you. So uh, again, thank you and the commission for your work. And uh, we'll, we'll continue to be watching, of course, and, and assisting where we can. Thank you. Matt? Yeah, you're welcome. Matt, any, uh, anything else for today? We still encourage people to go and get vaccinated. Uh, no lottery in Michigan, but uh, it's going to be better for your health and the, the health of those around you. Indeed, get vaccinated. And as uh, Sue Ann noted, pay attention uh, to these public hearings on the redistricting commission. And uh, if you're able, uh, you should join at least uh, to listen to the process so you understand uh, how it's taking place. Submit those maps. Uh, we have uh, had some state legislative staffers do it. We had uh, individuals do it. We had had students do it. It's, it's actually fun to try to draw uh, your own community. So uh, yeah. give it a shot. And I know that you've engaged uh, your students as well, Matt, so, um, as well as your staff. So uh, we've, we've had an opportunity as well. Appreciate that. Well, uh, thank you, Sue Ann. And uh, thanks again, Matt, uh, for... Uh, co-hosting uh, this session of uh, State to State. My thanks again to Russ White and the folks at WKAR for their support of this program. Join us again next month on State of the State.